in prayer, and then we'll get right into it. Lord, I thank you uh, for this day. You are so amazing, so wonderful, so beautiful. Lord, uh, that you have uh, shown your mercy and your grace to us. Lord, uh, I am amazed at your goodness. I'm amazed at your kindness. Uh, I am amazed that though you owed nothing to this rebellious people, you have given us your Son. Um, I pray tonight as we dig into your Word, as we press on through the book of Romans, uh, that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts, uh, that you would do a work of quickly bringing us back uh, into the context of where we are. We're now two weeks uh, two weeks set apart from the last time that we've touched this, Lord. I just pray that you would, uh, in these difficult uh, passages, in this difficult uh, section of the book of Romans, that your Holy Spirit would do a work in our minds, a work in our hearts, that we would see the truth, uh, that you are uh, showing us, that you would, uh, through this truth, solidify us in your gospel, solidify us in the truth that we serve a God whose word cannot, could not ever fail us. And that from this, that we would be positioned to set forth into this world, into the weeks uh, to come into our workplaces, into our schools, into our communities, and ultimately into the world uh, in such a way that we would be confident in the God who has saved us, who has called us, who has set us apart, and who has set us out on a mission for Him, Lord. And that's not a mission for one week out of the year, but that is each and every moment of each and every one of our lives. I just pray, Lord, now as we uh, come into this uh, this service, that you would be with those who uh, could not be here, whether it be for sickness or whether it be uh, just life has pulled them in other directions. I ask your, uh, your, that you would be with them, uh, be with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world as well. Uh, who may be enduring persecution. Uh, let us, as we enjoy the comforts of this building, um, not forget that there are brothers and sisters that we have around the world uh, who are facing persecution for gathering together in your name. So as we gather together, let us be thankful to be in this place. Let us be thankful that you have placed us here. And let us see the blessings that you have poured out on us as opportunities to serve you in the ongoing of your kingdom. It's in Christ's name, for His glory. Amen. Alright, I am so pumped to be back with y'all tonight. Wow, it got crowded all of a sudden. Um, I'm telling you what, let's pray again. <laughs> for real though, no. Um, so I'm, man, I'm so pumped to be back here with y'all tonight. We're going to be in chapter 9 of Romans, wrapping up chapter 9 tonight, tippy-toeing into chapter 10 of the book of Romans. If you're here, I know I've seen a couple of faces that are new to us on the Sunday night service through this study. If you're new tonight, um, I'm going to do my best to make this make sense to you. Um, if you are a little confused, um, welcome aboard, right? Um, we have now for the past year, since February, been pushing through the book of Romans, and now we're at the end of 
chapter 9 of the book of Romans, and we are uh, knee-deep, neck-deep, maybe a little in over our heads into some deep, deep truths of Scripture, and we're kind of pushing through, trying to take our time so as not to confuse too much, and also trying to extract out of chapter 9 some truths that help support chapter 8. The kind of truths that we see in chapter 8 are things like this, uh, knowing all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord, kind of to bring us into the context of where we're at. Now we're asking ourselves the question, what about the Jews? Because you're making these big promises, Paul, in the book of Romans for us that we're more than conquerors through all things, but it would seem that God's failed in His promises. What do you mean by that? Well, it seems like the very Savior that came missed His people, right? Like today, the church is here and the Jews are not part of us by and large. They don't believe in the Savior. So what about them? God made all these promises to them, right? Now why are we enjoying these promises when it seems like they've left this thing by the wayside? Is it the case that God's Word or God's promises to them have failed? And throughout chapter 9, 10, and 11, Paul is pouring out some truths, some deep truths about the work that God is doing in a big picture, big picture scale. To say no, uh, verse 6 of chapter 9 says, But it is not as though the Word of God has failed. And we've been kind of pushing into that. Uh, last week we ended um, at chapter 9, verse 29. So, uh, or excuse me, two weeks past we ended at 9.29. So to kind of walk us through the chain of the chain of thinking to get us to where we can really pick up and run tonight. So uh, let's, let's just remind ourselves again, let's not question the character of God in this, right? As Paul opens up chapter 9, we see a heart with the passion for the lost. Let us never, as those who are redeemed, let us never think that we have more of a desire for the lost to be saved than God who sends the preachers out. Right, than the God who sent His very Son for us. So let us never question the character of God in this. Let us understand that it is not as though God's Word is filled. And let us see that Paul, what he's trying to tell us, that what he's seeing happen with the falling away of the Jews of his day is something that God has done before, that the plan and purposes of God, in fact, are moving right along as they have been prophesied to do. And he gives us examples of Isaac, and he gives us examples of Jacob in the opening of chapter 9 there to say, no, it's not as though God's word is filled. What we're seeing now with the falling away of so many Jews is in fact the work of God going to make the gospel available ultimately to all people, not to a very select group, but to all people. We preach not just to one specific group of people, and our churches should not be made up of just one specific group of people. We preach to all. The gospel has been made available to all So let us see that as we're pushing through this, that God has 
hardened the, the Jews. The Jews have crucified their Savior. The potter has right over the clay to do as he wills, and he's doing this. Uh, chapter 9, verse 23, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. How has he, church, how has he prepared us beforehand for glory? Specifically, what has he done? Christ is the Lamb slain from when? The foundation of the world. Before the first man breathed breath, Christ was slain in the mind and eyes of God. Do we get this? Do we see that eternally Christ was the Lamb slain? That this is the idea that's coming out here. And this, in this work which God has set forth to show the riches of His glory, He has prepared beforehand a people that He will bring to Himself. Even us, Paul says in verse 24, even us whom He has called not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. And in this two Groups, big, broad groups of people. This is all people, right? God has made the gospel available to all people. And he quotes multiple times from Old Testament. He quotes in Hosea, which we looked at last week. For those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living. God. And then we end last week with this idea, right? And I want us to kind of think on this as we now press into the next section. If, so this is verse 29, and as, as Isaiah predicted, so what Paul is saying here is that this event, this falling away has been prophesied by who? By Isaiah, and he's quoting from Isaiah, and he says this, If the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have become like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What does this mean? What does this mean? I want us to think about this. Would there have been any who come to God apart from God showing mercy to some? So, so we need to understand this. If not for God actively working in history, none come to Him. Right? God's Word tells us that we are all enemies of God. Not because God has just said, hey, you're going to be enemies, but because we make ourselves enemies of Him. We are in fact, apart from Christ, preparing ourselves for destruction. Yet He reaches in through the preached Word to redeem people who believe. Who believe. So, uh, as we dig into this next passage of text, I want to remind you of something that we talked about when we talked about Pharaoh, because I see what's happening here. Um, we see in chapter 9, up to where we're going to pick up tonight, all about what God's doing. All about God's plan in this. 
right? It's God's purposes, God's work, and God's will, right? Like We see this working out through the early parts of chapter 9. And what we're going to find now is Paul's going to ask a question. And this question is essentially going to take us into this idea of faith and unbelief. Right? So when we were talking about Pharaoh, we addressed Pharaoh and we addressed this idea of hardening that we find in scriptures in a, in a, in a very specific way. Like we said, when we look back at the Old Testament, we look at all the different places where it talks about Pharaoh being hardened or God hardening Pharaoh or he was hardened. Like, like we find where it's very clear that God hardened him. We find it very clear Pharaoh hardened himself. And then we find some place in scripture where it seems like it could go either way, where you could argue either side, either it was God hardening or And what I wanted to say to you in that is that God does that. God speaks in that language in a very purposed way. Because what I believe is the hardening of God is not just one or the other, but that they are both one and the same. Is that in the opening chapters of Romans when it says that God abandoned them, what do we think the result of God abandoning them was? The hardening of their hearts in sin, right? So that the heart is softened when God actively moves in. But if God chooses to draw Himself away, woe to the one that He abandons to His sinfulness, right? So in the same way that we speak of Pharaoh hardening his own heart and God stepping back and letting Pharaoh at his sin, letting Pharaoh's heart have its way, like this kind of symbiotic relationship, this this place where you can't really evenly make the divide of, well, that seems like it was God, or that seems like it was Pharaoh. I wanted to tell you when we were looking through that, and I think I did mention it, don't look for who comes first in that action. Specifically, don't look for who comes first, but because before any of it took place, God told Moses what he was going to do. Like, it was prophesied. Right? So the prophecy came before anything took place. In the same way, Israel, and what's happening in Israel, we're seeing in the Scripture, has been prophesied time and time and time again. Right? Not ultimately for their destruction. I want us to understand this, that this is not ultimately for their destruction. But it is for the hope of all people that, that Christ would be crucified and rejected by His own because it is through this that the gospel has spread to us today. We have heard the gospel because it's been preached, right? And ultimately, it's because He was crucified. And He was crucified because He was dr- rejected by His own. And this was the plan of God, right? And in all of this, He is making Himself known to us in a way that is bigger than if He had done it any other Way. In eternity, we will see a bigger view of God for the way that He has done it than if He'd have done it the way that we thought would have been best. Let's understand that God is wiser. His ways are higher than our own. So in that same way, opening of chapter 9, we see very specifically that God's purposes are going on. Along with this, so if I ask you, why did the people of Israel crucify their king? What would you answer? What would be a good answer from the text that we've covered thus far? Why did they reject their king? Well, it was prophesied. Could we say that God hardened them? Alright, so 400 plus years prior to Christ, what does God do? The last prophet pins the last word of prophecy. 
God draws back in this. And there is silence for hundreds of years. And what does Israel do in this? They set up their own ways, right? To where the washing of hands becomes more important than being holy. Right? That cleaning my hands before I eat is more important than what comes forth from my mouth, from my heart. Right? Like that's the kind of people that develop as God pulls back. And then Christ comes on the scene. And God has hardened, and they have hardened. And now we're covering this. So you could answer the question, why? By saying, well, God prophesied it, so it was clearly going to happen, and God hardened these people. And you can also answer it by saying, they did not believe. Both are simultaneously true. And this is what we're going to see tonight as we dig into this. So Paul says, 29... If the Lord of hosts had not left for us offsprings, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Verse 30, he says, What then shall we say about... Or what shall we say then? And he goes on like this. And I want us to see, I want you to pay attention, that he goes from what we've been covering in chapter 9 to this that we're going to cover tonight, and then he starts merging into the preaching of the gospel. Right? So I want us to see these things kind of taking place. The the, the importance of faith is brought up in the midst of all of these things. So I want to tell you that it, it was God's plan, that it was God who hardened them. Had He not, the gospel would not have been brought to us. The King would not have been placed on a cross, there would be no resurrection, there would be no ultimate hope if not for these things. Yet at the same time, they, the people of Israel, His brothers and sisters for which His heart is so burdened for, did not believe. They did not believe. What then shall we, or what shall we say then, verse 30, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? How crazy is that? If you were a Jew who had grown up loving the law of God, trying to follow after the laws and commands of God, cherishing this whole society. How crazy is it to think that the people who did not have this truth because you did not take it to them, you were not a lot unto the world. God has brought them to Himself. And how did He do it? How did they obtain Righteousness, that is a righteousness that is by what? The end of verse 30. That is by faith. How are we made righteous before our King? By faith alone are you made righteous. Because the work of Christ is enough. Do you understand this? That fundamentally your faith is that Christ's work is sufficient for you. 
Do you believe that His work was enough? Or do you believe that His work made way that you could do something that would be enough? You'd better not. You'd better not. His work for you on the cross was sufficient. And if you believe this truth, you are saved. It's by faith in the work of Christ that we are saved. And this, my friends, when God withdraws, I want you to get this. When God withdraws, if God does not move in to show you this truth, if instead He withdraws, I want you to get that this is a stumbling block for you. Because your flesh says, give me a chance and I can do it. Show me the way and I can pursue it. I can achieve it. And what the gospel says is, no, you never could. And that speaks to you. Do you get that? Do you get that the gospel speaks to the depravity of you? That it speaks to the sinfulness of you? Do you get that that's why Paul, in opening up the book of Romans, spends so much effort in showing that you, without Christ, have nothing but problems. And that your only hope is found in Christ. Because your flesh would say otherwise. And that's the problem that Israel faced. Israel thought themselves special. Thought themselves set apart because their forefathers. Thought themselves set apart because they had knowledge of the law. While the whole time they missed out on what the law was trying to tell them. And this is what this Scripture is going to show us as we press into it. But Israel, verse 31, But Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Why? So, so is this a true statement about Israel? Did they pursue a law that would lead them to righteousness? Yes. But not according to knowledge, is what we're going to find. Not according to knowledge. Right? They pursued a law that they thought in the pursuit and workings of, they would find righteousness. When the law was given for what purpose? We've covered this. To do what? To reveal our sin to us. So I want us to get that this is fundamentally different than someone who would look at the law and say, I'm going to make myself righteous by following the law. Right? The Jew would look to the law. Paul's friends that were of the Jews would look to the law and they would say, these are the things that I must do. And they would be a people who would come before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and say, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tell him, be like, I've done it from my youth. Right? I've done it from my youth. And this is the very same Jesus that when this guy comes up, he says, why do you call me good? Right? Because what he wants to get the understanding across to this man is that you don't know what good is. Your knowledge of what good is is fundamentally flawed if you think that you can achieve it. 
that you can erase all the evil that you've done, that you are so foolish as to think that you have kept the law from your birth. Are you kidding me? Try this one thing. Try this one thing. Sell everything you've got, right? And what's the response? Like, I'm going to go away sad because it doesn't make any sense to me because I'm missing something, right? The man was missing something. The lost were missing something. The Jews were missing something. They were pursuing a law that they thought in the pursuit and in the workings of they would attain righteousness when instead the law was given to show them that they needed one who could fulfill the law to do it for them. And that one is who? And Christ is the end of the law. And this is what we're going to push into I'm wanting to plant some seeds as we go along. So verse 31, But Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching the law. Verse 32, Why? Why did they not succeed in becoming righteousness? Why did they not achieve what the end of the law was there for them? Or what was there for them? Why, church? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on what? So there's some practical things that I want us to pull out of this tonight too. Like I want us to get how it chains in to the big picture of Romans chapter 9, 10 and 11. But there's some things that I want us to extract out of this just practically among us as believers. And, and, and that one practical thing is, is that I believe that many in the church in their pursuit of righteousness are foolish as the Jews thinking that they will attain that righteousness in the working out of the law and not by faith. Right? So as you, and this is, I want to plant some seeds so that as you're doing this, that maybe one day these things blossom in your mind and your heart and your soul. As you're doing this, and as you try to work that out in your own life, time after time, trying not to fail, trying to put up these protocols, trying to do these things. I want to do this five-step program. I want to, you know, like get some accountability partners. Like these are all good things. But I want to tell you, you're made righteous ultimately by none of those things. Do you believe that ultimately you are made righteous because of faith? The same faith that started it all finishes it all. The same Savior that started the work finishes the work. Like, this is the fundamental truth of faith. Do the work to realize that you need the work done, if that must be the case for you. But realize, every time you fall, that you fall so that you would look to the One who has never failed. Right? Understand that truth. And as a believer, hold on to that truth. Because you will fail. Time and time and time again. You should see progression in your Christian walk. The Holy Spirit will, in fact, work in us to sanctify us in this life. But you will never be perfect on this side of the grave. 
But I want you to know, believer, I want you to know without question that when you are raised to life, you will be perfected as your Savior. Even though your last breath, you will probably be thinking of sins that you committed, that you will stand before your Savior for. Right? Know in that moment as you close your eyes that you rest in faith. In Christ. That's the truth. That's the truth. Not as if it were based on works. That was their problem. That's why the Jews failed. That's why it was a stumbling block for them. It says, They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. And this is the beautiful thing. This is one thing that I love about the way that Paul is just chaining together time and time and time again Old Testament scriptures. So it's in a way as to say, you, you shouldn't have missed it. This is not the first time that you're hearing this truth, right? You're stumbling. It was prophesied that you would stumble. You're stumbling over the stumbling stone for which God prophesied would be set for you to stumble over. And you will stumble. So, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. Verse 33, As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Why is it that they found offense in Him? It's the same reason that the world finds offense in Him. It's the same reason that many believers find offense in Him. Because every time I flip to Romans chapter 3, every time I flip to Romans chapter 3 and I read, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery and they have and the way of peace they have not known there is no fear of god before their eyes as i read that our natural reaction to it is doesn't that seem a bit harsh doesn't that seem a bit much because i'm thinking back on my own self and i'm thinking you know i don't think i was that bad before christ i want the truth of scripture is yes you were And if you are lost, yes, you are. You hate God with every fiber in you unless He gives you grace not to. This is the truth of the effects of the fall. And they stumble over that. Right? They stumble over this. The Jews stumble over this because that can't be us. We've been given the law. We've been given the promises. We've been given all these things. We're above that. We're better than that. Like, like you're, you're telling me that the Gentiles who have never heard anything about this, that we're on equal footing? Seriously? Yes, seriously. There is no one at the foot of the cross who is any better shape, is any better condition. All are fallen. 
All are sinful. And this causes men to stumble because we think, well, money will make it better. Or status will make it better. Or good deeds, good efforts, good works. I'm a law-abiding citizen. Right? We will amount all these things to try to make ourselves feel as though we're less than. When the law was given to show us, like the Ten Commandments, go through them. These things are not difficult things, and you can't help but do them. How often do you make idols of everything else in this world and place them above God? The very first one, the very first one, have no other God. And what do we do? What do we do? So we stumble over this. But the truth that's laid out in the gospel, that's been told before, get this, that when he's quoting this, he's quoting from the Old Testament, right? And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. What is that? Is that not faith? Is that not faith? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And now we're going to step into chapter 10 and we're going to look at the first four verses here. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So in the midst of this, I want us to come back to a reminder. Right? It's what we covered at the beginning of chapter 9 and I want us to see it again here. Is that Paul's heart is for what? For the salvation of his brothers. He has a strong desire. Now stated twice in a fairly short span of Scripture. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. A couple things that I want us to get out of this. Is the desire of our hearts as a church for the lost to be saved? Is it the desire of our hearts that the lost would be saved? If you're not, what are you doing here? If you're not, let's start back with the gospel because you probably need it. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them. So it's the desire of your heart that the lost would be saved. Yes? It better be. Do you pray that the lost would be saved? Right? And here's, I want, I, I'm not saying, do you pray for the mission team that goes to Honduras that when they're there it will be effective? I'm saying, see, there's so much said about like local mission and what we're going to do local mission. And I see probably over 50 people plus here tonight that tomorrow when you wake up, you will be on local mission. Right? God has placed you in places. How many of you work, go to school, or hang out in areas where there's not a single lost person? Hold on. 
my contacts have had them in for probably more days than I should have had them in. Do I see hands over here? No. Over here? No. Over here? No. So every one of you will come in contact with the lost this week. Someone who does not know God, does not love God, whose works and good deeds you know will not save them. Are you praying for them? Do you have people every day that you wake up that you know you could share the gospel with? And you say, I don't know how. Look, y'all have been here for Romans 1 through 8. You know how, right? You have no excuse now for the sharing of the gospel. Painstakingly have we pushed through this. So I want to ask you, do you have a desire for the lost to be saved? Will you pray for their salvation? Will you? I I want you to get something. I haven't even started yet on the go and say something. Right? Like, like Landon, give me the like icebreaker conversation starter for sharing the gospel. Here's what I'm saying. Pray. Let, let, let's start step one. Desire in the heart. Do you have it? Yes. How many of you want to take up arms and be a missionary this week? Alright? Every one of your hands should be raised up. And this is why we need fundamentally to change our idea and understanding of what it means to be a missionary. You are, as a believer, left in a country that is not your own. Do you understand the truth of that? Is that you are passing through going to your home country. Every one of you who are believers in Christ are missionaries placed in the very places, lives that you have. And God will use you. Pray that He will use you. Simple prayer. Simple prayer. Lord, send me someone. And don't let me screw it up. Man, y'all, if y'all only knew how often I pray that prayer. Send me somebody. Don't let me screw that up. And I use that. I don't know if that last part, that may, I don't know if that, like, floats well with (laughs) y'all. Alright. Lord, forgive me. I'm being sanctified, right? Don't let me mess that up. (laughs) Alright. Would you pray that God would use you tomorrow? Do you think that He will? Do you think that as Paul prayed, that God answered his prayers? Do you think there were any Jews that he led to Christ? Yes, there were. Yes, there were. And there were many others that were not Jews. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. 
And here's what I want to tell you is that there are many people that you will come in contact with tomorrow and in the days to come that are, in the world's eyes, good people. They have a zeal for something. And it ain't for killing, murdering, raping, and killing babies, right? Like, it's not for those things, right? Because you probably wouldn't be hanging out with those people, right? These are people that you would hang out with, that you would talk with, that you would socialize with, that you would say they are good people. Let's follow along with what the Scripture says. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God. I mean, he goes one step further. He says, they have a zeal, and it's a misplaced zeal directed for God, but not in the direction that it needs to be because it's not based on knowledge. And and as I look at this, as I look at this, but not according to knowledge, the end of verse 2 there, not according to knowledge. I think, how of the Jews? How, how, this is the Jews. This is the people that's got the law. This is the only people that in all the world that you could have said, they have knowledge of the one true God. And Paul here says of these people, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Why does he say that? Why does he say that? And this is why I say, like, we need to start this whole thing with prayer, because if God doesn't move, then it doesn't matter. Man, if God doesn't move, not one soul will be changed. So we need to start knowing that it will be God who does the work. Because these people, who are the only ones in the world who could you could have laid claim as to having knowledge about God, Paul says they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And then he goes on to explain himself. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God. Whoa! As I read this, as I read this, I I want you to get, like, what does God's Word tell about Him? That He's righteous? What is the law? When you look at the law, what does the law say about God? That He's righteous? When you look at the cross and see that God does not sweep sin under the rug, but nails it in the hands of His Son so that His people can be made right with Him, what does that tell us about God? That He's righteous. They were ignorant of the righteousness of God. These people who God had drawn back from, not spoken through the word of prophets for hundreds of years, had set up laws to themselves that they could keep while failing to keep the law of God, thinking that that would be good enough. And here's the truth. This is the problem. This is why I tell you and continue pointing you to the truth of Romans chapter 3 because what it tells us is that your friend that thinks that they're good and that in the world's eyes seems like a pretty good person, that you've got no clue what the righteousness of God looks like. Because if you did, 
you would say no one looked good in light of it. That's the truth. Like the people of Israel had the law and lacked knowledge. They were ignorant of the righteousness of God in thinking that they could keep it and be good enough. Do you all see how foolish that is? Uh, Sometimes I wonder if we do because we fall into that same trap of thinking that if you... Like, if you overcame that sin one extra time in this life, that sin that you place on the pedestal is so high, that thing that just keeps you from being able to chase after God, that you say, if I could get that one off, I might do this. If I could do, I might be a preacher then, or I might be, I might go on a mission trip then, or I might take, I might do something at church then. If I could check that thing off, I might do it then. Foolish to think that that adds up to even smallest amount of change. Foolish to think that that makes you look less filthy. Here's the truth. You don't look filthy. Church, believers, you don't look filthy in the eyes of God, though filthy you are. The filthy you are when He sees you. He sees the finished work of Christ. Do you have faith in that? Do you have faith in Him finishing the work? I pray, I pray that we are not as the Jews, so focused on the task at hand that we take sight off of the righteousness of God. To think to be foolish enough to think that we could do enough. That's foolish. You'll stumble over that again and again and again. You want to be righteous? Look to the one who's righteous. You want to be righteous? Place your faith in the one who is righteous. He has brought righteousness to you. And He sends out preachers to preach this truth to you. And I pray that He'll call out more preachers to do the same. And I pray that you, as you go out this week, will share the gospel with the lost. Because they are ignorant of the righteousness of God. Because what will they say? I think I'm good enough. I think I can do enough. I think I can do more good than bad. And what that speaks to is the ignorance of man to the righteousness of God. If we could see how righteous He was, we would give up and cry out for help instead of thinking that we could do it on our own. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ, verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I want us to flip back or scan back up to verse 31 of chapter 9. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? They lacked faith. Because here's what the truth is. Verse 4 of chapter 10. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness 
to everyone who believes. I want you to get this. That what this is not saying is that now we need not the law. Right? This is not saying, okay, that's the end. No more need for that. The law still does what it was always purposed to do. And that is revealed to you your sinfulness. To point you to Christ. But Christ is the end for which you would work. Get this. That end that the Jews were working towards was what? Was what? What were they ultimately trying to work for? To build righteousness. To become righteous. The end of the law was for what? Righteousness. Christ is that end. Christ is that end. To work towards? To put effort into? To give you a good starting place in life? What does Scripture say? For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to who? Everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. Do you believe that? Do you believe as a believer in Christ that you are righteous before God? Do you believe that those who you will come in contact with in the days to come who do not believe this are in need of this? Do you care at all that the lost are perishing? Around you. I'm not talking about in another continent. I'm not talking about you got to get on planes to do it. I'm asking you, do you care truly about local mission? Do you? Then pray that God opens doors tomorrow and share with them the only hope It is true hope. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. Share it, church. You've been left here to share this news. In your workplaces, in your homes, in your schools, in your neighborhoods, in the city, in the state, in the country, and across the world. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this day. We are so undeserving of the love that you have so graciously shown to us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work among your people today. I pray that the truth of your word would take root in lives. Lord, I pray that we would as individuals... Become serious about the truth of your gospel. Lord, that you would open our eyes to the truth that you have placed us in time, in our locations, in our workplaces, because you have purpose for us there. Lord, that we would have our eyes opened to the things in front of us, to the people in front of us who are perishing. Lord, 
as you have been teaching us who you are, as you have been teaching us this work that you have done, I pray that you would begin to mobilize within each and every individual, whether they're going to the mines or whether they're going to the power company or whether they're going to Walmart or whether they're going to Dollar General. Lord, wherever we go, let us be infectious. Let this thing spread as though it was an infectious disease. Lord, that you would change lives here, change hearts here, that you would embolden us, Lord, that your church would be a place that we would come together to be encouraged by one another so that when we start on Monday or when we start when we walk out these doors, that you would show us and give us desires to work for you. Lord, I believe that you will. Lord, I believe that you are, that you have already been. Continue to do your work, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would let us be a great part of it. It's in Christ's name.